right, so here we are in Zechariah chapter 12, and this is, I've been really looking forward to getting to this chapter, because this chapter has a very famous verse that is often associated with end times, and uh, it's one that is often used by the dispensationalists to debunk what we teach about the rapture, and of course, uh, a lot of things about the Jews, and I'm going to show you where they are dead wrong, all right, I'm going to show you where uh, also... Um, where there's an error, there's there's something where I guess a, a real clear difference. And a lot of times people they try to act like they believe like you in certain things, you know. And it's it's always important that we show here's where we have a fundamental difference. And that's it's the key to do. You know, that's what you have to do kind of with Calvinists sometimes. Some of them are real good at double talking, acting like they believe the way you do. And it's important that you pinpoint where those fundamental differences are. And then prove the, your point there. And so I'm going to show you that tonight with Zechariah chapter 12 because this is a gotcha passage that they will use. Um, because, you know, there's a verse in here where it talks about um, something that we would all definitely associate with something that is in the distant future. And one thing that uh, I've been doing throughout this whole uh, book is showing how these things were all meant to be fulfilled either in their day or in the, in the near future. But when we get to chapter 12, we're going to see a verse that most people would agree, this is talking about the future. In fact, it's talking about our future. And I'm going to show you that's just not the case. There's just a, there's a really major mistake that is being made. And I think I can prove this beyond any shadow of a doubt. But when and Zechariah 12 said it's often used... When talking about prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled, but most people when they're reading this passage, they immediately assume that it's all prophesying events that were 2,500 years in the future, roughly, assuming that Jesus Christ is going to come in our lifetime, 2,500 years in the future. Now, the question we've got to ask ourselves is, you know, where in Zechariah's prophecy do we see him changing the subject from the near future to the distant future? Because okay, it's important that we remember what we've been talking about in the previous 11 chapters. And dispensationalists, they never look at context. Let's say that over and over again. I rub their faces in that. I rub their noses in that. The fact that they never look at context, but that's what we do. They zero in on one verse. I always say we need to zoom out and we need to look at the big picture. All right. So let's look at the big picture of what we've seen in Zechariah so far, and let's see what happens when we actually interpret the Bible consistently. Because what I'm going to do, I am going to interpret the prophetic verse that they all love in Zechariah 12 consistently the same way we even, they would interpret some of the other prophetic verses concerning Jesus' first coming. And I'm going to show you that this passage in here, uh, well, let's go ahead and go to the main verse that I'm talking about. Um, and let's look at verse, uh, oh, I lost the spot. Verse 9, yeah, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Okay? I'm going to show you that that was fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. Okay? But you're gonna, they'll say, well, wait a minute, what about in Revelation chapter 1? Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. 
Okay? So that, that, that's where most people go. They will say this here in Zechariah 12 is a pro prophecy about Jesus Christ returning in the clouds. But in the dispensation world, when Jesus Christ returns in the cloud, it's not the rapture, even though that's what happens in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's him coming at Armageddon. And we'll get into that as we go. But I'm going to show you that was, this was a prophecy. If we, can, if we consistently interpret the book of Zechariah, we will see that that is a prophecy that was fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. So let's go ahead and start going. Let's look at a breakdown, though, of the chapters in the book of Zechariah. Because we don't have time to read through all 11 chapters. But chapters 1 through 6 is the first section that's motivating Israel to rebuild the temple. God had brought them back in the land. They were allowed to rebuild the temple. You know, they had Cyrus had commissioned them to do that. And Zechariah and Haggai, these guys, they got together and they're preaching and they're encouraging Jerusalem. All right, it's time to get to work. You've got your opportunity. Now do what you're supposed to do. Get to work. And then when you get to chapter 7, we're a couple years later. We're two years later. The work has begun. And so now, uh, during this time in chapter 7, that was the chapter where Israel is wondering if they need to continue the practice of mourning and fasting, you know, the you know, which is something they would do in remembrance of the destruction of Jerusalem. It seemed like it was pointless because of the fact that they were back. They're rebuilding Jerusalem. Great things are happening. And so in chapter 8, it's showing that after the, um, after the temple's completed, God was going to bless them again and use them again. And he told them, you don't need to mourn anymore. He told them they could stop doing that practice because it was during their time, during their life, God was going to use them again. God was going to put his name in Jerusalem again when that temple was built and they would be making sacrifices. All those things would be happening again. Then in chapter 9, it prophesied the coming Messiah that would, where he was supposed to start defeating their enemies at his arrival. Now, we know this didn't ultimately, you know, this did not happen even though Jesus did do his triumphal entry that was prophesied, he came in, meek and lowly, riding upon a colt in the fold of an ass. We know he did his part, but what happened when he got there? They rejected him, didn't they? And so this, that's an example of, you know, chapter 6, verse 15, the key verse that you need to have underlined where it said, And this shall come to pass, if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So many of the things that we see after this, when it, when it talks about the prophecies of the Messiah coming, those things didn't happen because they didn't diligently follow the Lord. They rejected the Messiah. There was a disclaimer in there. So not everything we see prophesied in the book of Zechariah came to pass. Some things did because Jesus did his part, but many things did not. And always have that verse underlined. That way, whenever the dispensationalists want to tell you this and this is all, all got to happen, you say, no, it doesn't. In fact, it can't happen. Because God said it would only happen if they would follow the Lord, and they didn't follow the Lord. So they're, they're calling God a liar if they say that's going to happen. They think that God is like some of you as parents where you're like, if you do that, you're going to get a spanking. You know, and then they do it. All right, I, I, I told you not to do that. If you do, if you do it one more time, you know, you better stop before I'm going to count to three. You know, you know, and then we, we just never go through with what we say we're going to do. It's like they think God's that way. No, God said, if, if you don't follow me, then these are not things are not going to come to pass. They didn't follow him. So guess what? They're not going to come to pass. 
God is not a liar. So, they're, they're the ones making God out to be a liar. But chapter 10, it's continuing to show what the Messiah would do. And it was showing also how he was going to restore Ephraim. And the Messiah never got to this point because, once again, they killed the Messiah. He never united the kingdoms when he was on earth. He never made them the one people. As far as, you know, the Jews and the Samaritans and all those people, that didn't happen during his time. Now, spiritually, it happened because of Christ. And he has made us, you know, both one. He broke down the middle wall partition. Spiritually, all that happened. But physically, it did not happen. So, uh, and that was because they rejected him. Chapter 11, it's showing how the Messiah was going to defeat the enemies that bordered Israel specifically. And it also showed that he was going to destroy the evil shepherds and he was going to set up new shepherds over them. That never happened. He never got to that point. Okay? So, now we're in chapter 12. And here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. When we get to chapter 12, we've got to look for something that shows that we've now made a 2,000 year jump in prophecy. And good luck finding that. It's, it's just not there. But yet, that's what they would have to say. They would all have to agree that what, he's, you know, what he was talking about in chapters 9 and 10 and 11 all happened at his first coming. They know chapter 9 happened at his first coming. They know chapter 11 happened at his first coming where it talked about him being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver or sold for 30 pieces of silver. We, they know that happened at his first coming. So now we're in chapter 12. Where is the 2,000 year jump? It's not there. You know why? Because we're not 2,000 years in the future. We are still in the days of the Messiah. And some of the things we're seeing here, while we, you know, we see one verse, we're going to see one thing that did happen. We're going to see many other things that didn't happen too. The same as we see in chapters 9 and 11. So let's go ahead now. But well, before we do that, too, just a few other things we've got to understand. So, because under the old covenant, the kingdom, it should have began at the first coming of Christ. You can't read these passages and not, not come to that conclusion. Even the dispensationalists will agree with you on that. That under, under the first covenant, when Jesus Christ came, he was supposed to set up his kingdom. Okay? But he didn't because the Jews rejected the Messiah. Now, think, let's think about this. If the Old Covenant, or because we understand God always had a plan, God always knew what was going to happen. But for Israel to be judged, you know, for going against God's law, then doesn't that have to mean that there was something that they violated? There was something they were supposed to do? I mean, right there, the fact that the trouble that they got judged shows that there was something in the Old Testament that they were supposed to do that they did not do. And what was that? It was they were supposed to accept Jesus as the Messiah. They did not do that, so we had a change of plans. God did not just cast them away when they rejected him. You know what he did? He made a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not according to the first covenant, which they break. God made a covenant, but this covenant was not exclusively or only physical Israel could be a part of it. It was one that we all could be a part of. And the Jews don't like that. The Jews did not want to share the inheritance with the younger brother, with the prodigal, but that was God's will. And they needed to get over it. And, because, and we, are, we are going to inherit the blessings with them, and they're not going to get it 
because they, they've rejected the Messiah. So just because God always knew this wouldn't happen of them receiving the Messiah, it didn't mean that it was not a plan that was spelled out in the Old Covenant. It was spelled out. And if the Old Covenant demanded, you know, if the Old Covenant demanded Jesus on the cross, then why did Peter rebuke them for killing Jesus? Something we've got to ask ourselves. You know, why was Israel judged for rejecting Messiah? Even if you're a dispensationalist who believes the tribulation is God's judgment on Israel for rejecting the Messiah, according to what scriptures were they supposed to kill the Messiah? These are all just legitimate questions that we've got to ask. The dispensation will tell you the tribulation is God's judgment on Israel for rejecting the Messiah. Okay, well, according to what scripture? What was supposed to happen? We're reading what was supposed to happen. Okay? What we're seeing in the New Testament is what is now actually going to happen as a result of the way things played out. And it's amazing how God always knew it was going to play out that way. And even in the way things played out when Jesus died on the cross, he still made a way for Israel to be saved. And that's what Romans 11 is all about. But that salvation, it's through Jesus Christ. It's they will be grafted back in if they will abide not still in unbelief. So it's all simple. It all makes sense, you know, when you understand replacement theology. But unfortunately, they reject that, so they're very confused. They, they have to ignore a vast majority of Zechariah. You're not going to hear them preach an expository sermon explaining everything that's in the book of Zechariah. They can't do it. They can only cherry pick the verses that they like and then just do their ructardation with it. That's all they can do. So according to the Old Covenant, they were not supposed to kill the Messiah, but according to God's providence, he planned the cross all along from day one, knowing it would always happen and that it was the only way. So, so, here, so here's what's challenging to prove and what I'm claiming about this chapter. I'm saying that this was supposed to happen, everything we're seeing here, 2,000 years ago. But we not only know this is, you know, but this looks an awful lot like a future event that we see in Revelation. It looks a lot like Revelation 1-7 where it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. That is very similar to what we read in Zechariah chapter 12. But what does the dispensationalists always like to say that we'll throw back in their face? But it's not exactly the same. You've got to look for the differences. Things that are different are not the same. Right? They, they, all, they, all love, they all love throwing that at you. But listen, let's, so let's go ahead. Well, let's look at a few other prophecies before we get to this. All right. So Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We all know this verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So everybody knows that happened when Jesus came, right? Now let me ask you, when did this happen? And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and from the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. When did that happen? Can somebody tell me? That didn't happen, did it? Now, we know verse 9 happened, but verse 10, did not. that did not happen. Chapter 11, verse 12. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto me, Cast unto the potter a goodly price that I was priced out of them. 
And they took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. We, when did that happen? That happened at his first coming at the betrayal with the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. But verse 14 says, Then I cut asunder mine other staff, even bands, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. All right, when, and when did all that stuff happen? When did everything happen in verses uh, you know, 1 through 11 of Zechariah chapter 11? When did, that, what, when did everything happen in Zechariah 9, 1 through 8? Those things did not happen. Okay? And it, what we're about to see in chapter 12 is the exact same thing. We are going to see one thing that did happen, but we're going to see a bunch of things that didn't happen because Israel did not follow the Lord. So let's go ahead and start reading through Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. When they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. Oh, my God. You've been watching the news lately? I was watching Fox News the other day, and I'm hearing about all these nations that are all against Israel right now. You know, Israel's surrounded by enemies right now. You know, if it wasn't for the United States, you know, they'd probably be taken over right now. You know, but at the same time, uh, it's not time yet, but I don't see America anywhere in Bible prophecy. We're probably going to get wiped out, and then the devil's going to have his way with Israel. He hates God's people. And they're being surrounded right now, and this, everything's gearing up for this battle. Just watch what's going on with Russia. Watch what's going on with Benjamin Netanyahu. You know, he belched the other day, and that was fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You know, it was just foolishness you hear. All right? But look, it says, And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. This is what God's going to do to the enemies of Israel. One of these days, they're going to gather around and he's going to he's going to defeat all their enemies. And the governors of Judah shall say in their hearts, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength. And the Lord of hosts, their God, in that day, whenever you see in that day, it's always talking about, you know, the day of the Lord, it's talking about there in the future. In that day, will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth, a fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire and a sheep, and they shall devour all the people round about on the right side and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place even in Jerusalem, God's not done with Israel. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. And in that day, saith the Lord, uh, or in that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So once again, what they will do when they're reading this passage is they, they're reading chapter 12 and they're talking in the future, in the future. Okay? So you have to demand that they show you where do we see the 2,000 year jump? We have been talking this entire time and they would agree about Jesus Christ's first coming. That this is prophesying the first coming of the Messiah 
But they have made it all about something that's 2,500 years in the future. So where did that happen? You know, why? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Remember, this, this meant something for those people in those days. They take all these minor prophecies and they make it all about end times for us that we preach about. You know, future events for us. While at the same time talking about how this was, you know, written for the Jewish people. And yes, it was. It was written for the people in those days, during that time, during that time era that they were in, God was now restoring Jerusalem. He was he he brought the temple back. All these prophecies were fulfilled. He returned them from the land of captivity. He gathered them back to their homeland. He did all these things that they want to say is still yet in the future. But there's no doubt when you read the book of Zechariah, when you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, these things were being fulfilled in that day. And during, after this temple got built, that the Bible said it was going to happen in the days of Zerubbabel, then God was going to start using Jerusalem again. God was going to start doing things again. He was going to make, you know, it was his plan you know, to make them great like they were in their former days. But unfortunately, they did not follow the Lord like they were supposed to. And so finally, when the Messiah showed up 400 and some years later, things did not turn out the way God wanted them to turn out. And they, in fact, did violate God's commands. They rejected the Messiah. And so some things changed. But this chapter when it was written, was not trying to explain events that were supposed to happen 2,500 years in the future. It was trying to describe events that were supposed to happen when the Messiah came. And when the Messiah came, he was going to deal with their enemies. And this right here is showing how the Messiah was going to continue to take care of business when he came to earth. He hasn't changed the subject. Okay? It's just showing the final stages of the Messiah's plan or or the Messiah's dealings when he came to earth. But Israel never got to this point. These things did not play out. Now, we do see, I believe, in the book of Zechariah, some elements of things that will come to pass because of the simple fact that while God had a plan and God had a will, some things that he wanted to do during their day, we know he is going to do again in the future. So there's a lot of things that you see in the Old Testament when it comes to end times that are very similar to what the New Testament teaches about end times. Because God still has the same plan. God still wants to do the same thing. But there are some things that have changed because of the fact that we are now under the New Covenant and not the Old Covenant. This was an Old Covenant plan. So look at verse 10. So this is the big passage that people get confused on. It says, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of hadad Rimen in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, and the families that remain, every family apart, 
and their wives apart. So, let's look at a few things about this passage and figure out when it was fulfilled. Because here's what they teach on that. They teach that this lines up with Revelation 1-7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. That's talking about the Jews. Well, I agree. Now, when they read Revelation 1-7, they say that's when all Israel is being saved. But it's like, it says in Revelation, it doesn't say anybody's getting saved in Revelation. It says all the tribes of the earth are wailing because of him. How is that salvation? They will say, that's that godly sorrow that worketh repentance. Well, where is that in Revelation? Well, it's not in Revelation, it's in Zechariah. Because look at how they're making mourning. They're sorrowful. They realize what they have done. They now realize that they have killed the Messiah. And they are repenting. They're believing on him. And they're all getting saved. And I don't want to get, I, I, I don't really want to get sidetracked on this. But go, go, look at chapter 13 of Zechariah. Look what, look what it says here. It says in verse 9. And I will bring, talking about Israel, says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And shall, they shall call my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall be my God. Um, or I, I forgot to read verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, say the Lord, two parts there shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. So here in chapter 13, we only see a third of them. So if Zechariah 12 is something that's for the future that has to play out exactly as in chapter 12, then wouldn't chapter 13 have to play out the same way as well too? Well, chapter 13 only has a third of them getting it. I thought it was all Israel being saved. I thought, and so then all Israel shall be saved. Not, and so then a third part of Israel shall be saved. They need to get their act together. Okay? And they, they haven't got their act together. Oh, is is it a third or is it all? You got you got you know they need to, they need to be able to answer these things. They can't. There's no consistency in the dispensational world. Absolutely none at all. So that was this little bonus thing I wanted to show you there. But most of them they're not going to go to chapter 12 and 13 at the same time. But if they want to go to chapter 12, you go to chapter 13 and show them. Hey, is it all Israel being saved or is it a third? Okay. Well, God's going to kill two thirds of them. And then the rest would be all. Uh, uh, trying to help them out a little bit there. Give them, give them something. But anyway, let's, uh, so let's look at when Zechariah 12.10 was fulfilled. Okay, This was fulfilled in John chapter 19 and verse 36. This is after Jesus Christ has died on the cross. And you all remember they were going to go. They were going to break his legs. But it was prophesied not a bone of him would be broken. And they saw he was already dead. So what they do, they put a spear through his side. They pierced him. And it says in verse 36, For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. So, now, I used to be confused on this too. I used to think, well, we know that wasn't fulfilled in John 19. That's not fulfilled until Revelation 1-7. So the reason the Bible mentioned that is because in Zechariah's day, when it says they will look on him and when they pierced, well, who did we pierce? So John is, you know, that's a future, that's a prophecy for 2,500 years in the future. 
So when they pierced Jesus, John is showing, hey, that when you look on him when he pierced, this is him. It was Jesus. That was the way I explained it back in the day. But no, this was fulfilled then. They will look at me whom they pierced. But you say, well, Jesus didn't pour out, out grace to Israel. Well, are you sure? Isn't that what he was doing when he died on the cross? Was that not for Israel? Was that not him pouring out grace? Because look what it says in, in verse 10 again. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. What's supplication? That's prayer. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So let's think about that for a minute. That, Jesus did this on the cross. You see, they try to make this for the future, showing him pouring out grace and supplication. That's something for the future that he's going to do with Israel. No, it's not. He already did it. He did it when he died on the cross. He made supplication for him when he died on the cross. When he comes in Revelation, he's coming with wrath. His eyes are as a flame of fire. He's coming to do business. He's, he's coming to destroy and when he shows up on earth, what is he going to do? There's a, a crystal clear parable where he's going to say, bring them before me that would not that I should rule over them and kill them before me. That doesn't look like he's pouring out grace and supplication during that time. The only supplication that's going on there is he's asking the people to bring them before him so he can kill them. He poured out grace and supplication over them when he was hanging on the cross. And then what did they do? They put a spear through his side and they looked on him whom they pierced. But notice all the other things that are mentioned didn't happen because of, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm going into opinion here, but I, I think it's hard to say that there was even under the old covenant that it was not the intent for Jesus to go to the cross, even under the old covenant. I think personally had the Jews accepted him as the Messiah, had they been right with God, would have freaked out the rest of the world. That would have gotten Rome upset. And I believe it ultimately would have led to the nations coming to try to defeat Jerusalem. And I think what would have happened during that time is they would have been attacked. You know, their houses, you know, the houses rifled, the women ravished, all that kind of stuff. And I personally think that it's very possible that they would have put Jesus on the cross. And then it wouldn't have been Israel doing it. It would have, have been the Romans doing it. They would have been killing their Messiah. And, but at the same time, Jesus would have been doing that, you know, as payment for their sins, being the final sacrifice. I mean, you know, we can only suppose exactly what all would have happened. But uh, I, I personally think that, you know, they would have looked. They would, they would have mourned. Because let's look at this too. Because it says that they would be in bitterness as one that is in bitterness for his first one. That did not happen when he died on the cross, did it? No. Were they in bitterness or were they mocking him? My Bible says they were spitting on him. I don't think that was what God wanted them to do. I don't think God wanted them to say, you know, he saved others. You know, himself he cannot save. I don't think that's what God wanted Israel doing. I don't think that was God's will. I don't think the Old Testament was written in a way to get Israel to a point where when the Messiah came, that they would be encouraging the Romans to put him on the cross. 
And then they would be mocking him like that. I believe that upset God greatly when they did that. That was not his will. When he was dying on the cross, they should have been in mourning for him during that time. But no, they were enjoying it. They were celebrating it. That is not what Zechariah 12.10 says was going to happen. And then notice what it says in verse 11. So it says in that day. Now, once again, this is what would have happened if they would have followed the Lord. There shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad Rimmon in the valley of Megiddon. Okay? Now, this passage right here is another thing that they do to associate this with end times. Because Megiddon is mentioned. What is Megiddon? Armageddon. Right? This is about Armageddon. No, it's not. It says there's going to be a mourning in Jerusalem as a mourning that had already taken place in Megiddo. Now, when did that take place? Turn over to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 35. Second Chronicles chapter 35. This is just, and, and they don't know this because this is just, you know, Bible ignorance. They, they don't know their Bible stories very well. So they read that. They see Megiddon. They get all excited. Armageddon. You know, connect, it's the way they can connect with Revelation. But no, God's not pointing them in the future. He's pointing them in the past. He's like, they're going to have a morning in that day like they did in Megiddon. What was that talking about? Uh, verse 22 says, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not unto the words of Nico from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the, his, and the archers shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of the chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah and all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations to this day and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in lamentations. So do you all see that right there? It's, this was a tragic day for them. They lost Josiah, who was a good king. He died there in Megiddo, or Megiddo and they had a great mourning for him during that time. One that was remembered. One that they sang about. This was, I mean, this was a very sad thing. And, the, and Zechariah, he's saying, when you look on him who they pierced, he said there's going to be a great morning in that day, like a morning during that time. Now, folks, when you understand the story he's referring to, how in the world is this a reference to the Battle of Armageddon? It's not even close. It's not at all. It's just they see Megiddon and they get all excited and they want to connect it. It's just another way they can try to connect to end times. This already happened. So people might try to say that, you know, when they look at me, when they pierce, that was only partially fulfilled. But if we use the same standard that we used for chapter 9, verse 9, chapter 11, verses 12 through 13, then we have to say that 1210 was fulfilled too, especially since we have a verse in the New Testament saying it was fulfilled. I'm saying this is it. This is what this is what was prophesied. So uh, you know what we're seeing here, 
We are seeing how Israel failed to follow what they were supposed to do. But we see how God always knew what he was going to do. God always knew what he was going to do. God always had a, God always had a plan. So just a few, a few mistakes that you know, the pre-tribbers make on this is first off, you know, they, they try to connect this with Armageddon, which I just showed you is completely foolish. There's, there's no connection there at all. One mistake post-tribbers make is trying to make all of this fit with their timeline. Everything we see in there. It's not going to fit with our timeline. It, it's not, it, it already doesn't even fit with the pre-tribbers timeline. And it doesn't fit with ours either because of the fact that this is not how it's going to play out. That things changed when they went to the new covenant. This was supposed to happen at Christ's first coming. So, and good evidence that the prop, you know, good evidence, I believe that the Old Testament prophecies had contingencies. We can see in Daniel chapter 12. Now, let me show you something here. We'll close with this in Daniel chapter 12. Now, I'm, I'm going into opinion territory, all right? I try to just preach the truth, but I and at least let you know when I'm going into opinion territory. But Daniel chapter, you know, Daniel chapter 1 through 11, you've got a lot of people out there that uh, you got your kind of preterist types to say that was all fulfilled. Daniel's 70th week was fulfilled. And I do believe to a certain extent there's some truth to that, but I do believe there's what we could call dual fulfillment. I think we see evidence of a lot of that in the Bible. Okay? Especially since, you know, in the Maccabees, it flat out says that when Antiochus Epiphanes came through, the abomination of desolation happened. But we know the abomination of desolation didn't happen because Jesus said, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the name of the prophet. Okay? And the preterists, they try to say that, the, you know, they'll say that that happened, you know, around 70 AD or whatever. Plan on dealing with that on another day. But, but either way, okay, nobody would claim that Daniel 12, 1 through 3, has been fulfilled. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up. Michael. Michael is the archangel. Gabriel is not the archangel. You don't have two archangels. Okay? There's only one archangel. And people try to say, well, there was three. You know, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Okay? I don't know where they got that from. It was probably from the Satanic Bible or something like that. But Michael is the archangel. Gabriel is never referred to as the archangel. Michael is. Okay? Now, why do they need Gabriel to be an archangel? Well, to fit with all the rapture songs about Gabriel blowing the trumpet. But no, the Bible says the Lord himself should have sent him with a shout with the voice of the archangel. You know who that is? That's Michael. Why do they need it to be Gabriel? Well, because we sure don't want to connect Daniel chapter 12 with the rapture. Because that creates problems with dispensationalism. But it's not Gabriel, it's Michael. And I like the song Midnight Cry, but it's not Gabriel that sounds a call. It's Michael. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation, even at that same time, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. After the, This is after the tribulation, too. We've got a time of trouble such as never was, and now we have a resurrection. That doesn't look, that's not good for the pre-tribbers. 
Many of them sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay, they say, well, that looks like it's at the same time. Well, the New Testament gives us more detail, and it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then Revelation, it says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. The resurrection of damnation, it happens later. Okay, but verse 3, and they that should be wise should be shined as the brightness of the firmament. Well, that's interesting because Jesus, when he was transfigured, his face shone like the sun. And the Bible says when Jesus Christ, uh, when he returns, the Bible says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible says when he, when he comes, when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know what's going to happen at the rapture? We're not going to disappear and our clothes going to drop. We are going to shine as the brightness of the firmament. No secret rapture. Sun's going to be dark. The moon's going to be turned to blood. Stars are going to withdraw their shining. It's going to be dark. And then all of a sudden, we are going to see him in the sky. And then all of a sudden, we're going to shine too. We're going to see the stars fall from heaven, making the sky nice and black. So everybody will see us who are shining all of a sudden go flying up into the sky to be with the Lord. That's the way it's actually going to play out. But it says in verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So God tells him to seal this up. Okay? Now, this is, this is my opinion, but I think everybody knows that this is the, apples, you know, the opposite of what we see at the end of the book of Revelation. Okay? Verse 6, it says in chapter 22, and he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord uh, God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And, be, and so he mentioned they're faithful and true. Then John verse 10, it says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Okay, so that's the opposite of what he said in the book of Daniel. Here's why I believe that is the case. Because the way Daniel plays out, much of that was dependent on Israel going through with the first covenant. They didn't. So the way things play out in Daniel may not be exactly the way they play out in end times. Because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. Once again, there's a lot of similarities because God has always had a plan on how he was going to deal with the earth. God has always had a plan to eventually resurrect his people. That's always been God's plan. So, yes, there are very close similarities, but there are differences because we're in the new covenant. So in Revelation, when he writes the book of Revelation, he says, seal not. You know why? Because these things are true and faithful. You know why? Because we don't have to worry about these things not coming to pass because the new covenant is not dependent on us. It's dependent on Jesus Christ. So what we read in Revelation is going to play out exactly as is written in Revelation. And there are similar there are similarities to what we see in the book of Daniel, but it's not exactly the same. But I mean, it, chapter 12, I mean, the way, what we see there with the rapture, that's exactly how the New Testament explains it's going to happen. You know, it, that's exactly what the New Testament explains because that was always God's plan. It was always God's plan for there to be a resurrection. But it didn't happen. And this isn't in my notes.
But remember what Jesus said, you know, that, that behold, the time is coming and now is when all that are in the grave shall hear the voice. You know, he thought I, he may have been saying that then, too, because that was supposed to be happening in his day. That was, that was supposed to be happening in that very near future. It didn't happen because of Israel's refusal to follow, uh, to accept the Messiah. And so now, as a result of that, you know, th things are different. It's something that's going to be, you know, in, it's going to be in the future. So now, having said all that, let's take another look at Revelation 1-7. And look what it says. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now let me ask you, where is the grace and supplication? Why isn't that talked about there? You know why? Because when he comes with clouds, this time it's, it's different now. Okay? They had their chance. Now when he comes the second time, it's going to be, they're going to mourn. And you know what? All the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. If what we saw in Zechariah chapter 12 is all Israel being saved because they're mourning, then why isn't the entire world being saved when he comes to the clouds? Because it says all the kindreds of the earth shall wail. So wouldn't that be the whole world repenting according to them? No. No, they're wailing because they're in trouble. They're, they're going to be crying out to the rocks to fall on us and hide us. From the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. For the great day of his wrath has come. That's what's going to happen when he comes. So, <clears throat> there is so much to be, you know, there is much to be learned about future events when it comes to Old Testament prophecy. But we've got to understand the New Testament trumps the Old. If you show somebody, hey, this is what the Bible says is going to play out in the New Testament. And then they show you something different from the Old Testament. You go with what the New Testament says. Okay. That, that that's just a, a should be an easy rule to understand. But we've got to understand or, you know, we don't have to reconcile every difference that we see. We don't have to figure out how every verse is going to play out in our future. We don't have to do that. There's differences because they are different co covenants. Zechariah 12:10 has been fulfilled. It has happened. But Revelation 1, 7 has not happened. That is yet to come. So. Hopefully that all makes sense, and hopefully, hopefully you see the difference there. Zechariah 12:10 fulfilled, Revelation 1:7 yet to be fulfilled, and I say even so, Amen. I'm looking forward to it. So let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your word. I pray that this Bible study was a help to everyone, and I pray you help us to understand uh, these things and how uh, prophecy works in the old in the old covenant. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant that you made. We thank you that. Uh, it was something that included the whole world and not just Israel. And we thank you that it is not dependent. The outcome of everything is not dependent on what we do, but it is uh, dependent on what you have already done. And uh, Lord, we're just thankful for that. Because of that, we can say we are now saved and we can know that we're going to heaven. And we thank you for that. We give you all the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.